This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Happy Thanksgiving 2020. You might have consumed more alcohol than you usually do this year, and it might be your New Year's resolution to cut that out. The holidays are coming, but today we're going to look at a study that shows that Kratom reduces alcohol consumption in drunken mice. We hear about uh, people using Kratom for opioid cessation, but uh, a lot of people are using it for alcohol as well. Um, including myself, and it actually works, I'm finding. It cuts down on cravings, and it helps if you want to stop, too. If you want to stop and you're getting a craving and having some Kratom actually takes it away, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and that's kind of what this study's about. Another amazing thing is if people aren't even trying and they find that uh, they don't want to drink anymore, this guy interviewed Joe Turner... Um, I interviewed him probably might have been 2018. It was one of my earlier ones, but he uh, said, I'm going to read what he said. Um, he started to take Kratom. He was in uh, manual labor. He was like a migrant farmer and uh, doing construction work and stuff like that his whole life. And he's in his 40s now and his body started to hurt. So he started, he got into opioids and, uh, then uh, he got sick of that. He found Kratom. So this is what he says. After about a month of using Kratom, I noticed that I was slowly losing my taste for alcohol. I would still come home from work and, out of habit, grab a beer from the fridge, but it seemed each night I'd drink less and less until I was pouring out full beers hours later. I just lost all desire for alcohol and any other substances it was totally mm. unexpected and unintentional. I never thought I'd be the type of person to turn down a Jack and Coke or a pain pill. It just happened. I can't stand the taste of it now, and I enjoy my new sober mental state too much to take any other drugs. Nice. Yeah. So that, and that's kind of my experience. I did last year. I did like a sober month, and I just took kratom uh, about five days a week. Then when my month was over, I said, okay, I'm going to sit, have a glass of wine. And I was like, this doesn't feel as good as it used to. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm not sure what's going on there, but maybe we can find out um, from this study. It might just be kind of like a method of administration thing. It, uh, there might be something with the uh, opioid receptors going on. So the title of the article is G-Protein Bias Kratom Alkaloids and Synthetic Carfentanil Amide Opioids as Potential Treatments for Alcohol Use Disorder. And this is a team from mostly Purdue University, published October 2019 by British Pharmacological Society. I guess my first question is from the title, what is carfentanil? Carfentanil is an analog of fentanyl. And so these are um, uh, pretty potent uh, opiate receptor binding uh, molecules, more or less. Um, so they're essentially saying like, is Kratom or the alkaloids in Kratom um, better than these other um, pretty significant 
the strongly binding uh, opiate molecules, um, like it's just binding to the opiate receptor seem to be a way to reduce alcohol use or alcohol consumption. Yeah, and it looks like in this study they took, uh, they were looking at three opioid, opioid receptors. Mu, Delta, Kappa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Mu is the one that uh, we're always talking about that... Um, 7-hydroxy and uh, mitragynine bind to. Mm-hmm. And, but they were looking at different ones. So this is a mouse study again. They gave the mice two different amounts of alcohol. The one was a, a 10% ethanol uh, drink, and the other was 20%. So when they say 10% ethanol given ethyl alcohol... Uh, given to mice, is that like a the same as a ten percent glass of white wine? I think so. I think yeah. that'd be fair to say. Yeah, the one they labeled moderate drinking, and the other other one they labeled binge drinking, which was moderate was the ten percent, and binge was the twenty percent, which would be stronger than wine, but not as strong as liquor. That yeah, and the um, consumption schedule was different. And they also isolated four alkaloids in Kratom. So we t- last time we talked about uh, speciophiline or speciof- speciophiline. There you go. <laughs> but uh, so they isolated the two famous ones, MG and 7O, but they also isolated pananthine. And, oh, I do have the pronunciation. I found the pronunciation... Uh, dictionary and it also had a speciophiline that was different than oh, no my way. official kratom science pronunciation pain and thing pain and thing pain and thing and the other speciogenine is uh, not the same as the one we were talking about last time mm-hmm. I don't know if that counts. That just sounds like a, a synthesized voice saying it, you know, based on what the letters are. I don't yeah, know yeah. Um, but these yeah, are actually, uh, mitragyny is the most abundant. And then these two that I just mentioned, P and S, are um, the second and third most abundant. Um, but 7 O's the fourth most abundant alkaloid, but it's the most potent. It was interesting, you know, essentially the long and the short of this, this paper was that uh, there's been reports that people are using Kratom to reduce alcohol uh, consumption. Let's see if we can replicate that using Kratom extracts. So they, they got some, you know, plant leafy material, and then they made two separate extracts uh, and tested its effects on alcohol consumption. Then they looked at these uh, isolated alkaloids, like just in and of themselves, not an extract from the plant material um, to reduce alcohol consumption. And then they looked at these other, you know, um, opiate receptor agonists, um, the carfentanil and their effect on reducing alcohol consumption. And so, you know, really it's just a whole series of repeating the same similar type of experiments. um, And it's pretty interesting, you know, what they find, um, but that's what they were setting out to doing at least. Uh, 2.4 or 2.5, they explain the uh, what they do, uh, cell culture and bias signaling assays, and 2.5, calculation of bias factors. So what are they doing there? 
Um, so the cell signaling assays are actually pretty interesting in that you can take a cell line and transfect it with a, um, you know, basically a viral load that will lead to the incorporation of these opiate receptors in the cell, uh, cell wall. Uh, and then they'll look at, um, it's basically tagged with a, a fluorescent protein. And when the receptor is bound, uh, it, it, this tagging link and I forget what they get the maybe it was pathfinder uh or path hunter um but the, it's just a fluorescent protein they tag it with and then when it's activated uh that basically that fluorescence uh starts glowing um and so they can see uh to what extent something is binding to uh those receptors and initiating that signaling cascade um by just uh, then like exposing the cell that's been transfected with the ligand or the molecule that they're trying to, to see if it stimulates. Um, I'm sure there's probably a better answer, a, a clearer answer that we could get from uh, some cell culture guys. Um, but uh, from what I could see this mm -hmm. transfection and the recruitment assays. Um, so basically, you know, after it binds, does it uh, lead to uh, CAMP inhibition or does it lead to beta arrest and recruitment? Uh, they can tell that because it's been a, a transfected cell that's been tagged with this fluorescent protein. Yeah, and, and I should say, just in general, what they're doing is they're they're giving uh, these mice alcohol, just in general, and uh, they're going to give them kratom, isolated alkaloids, to see how much they reduce their alcohol intake, which in all cases they did. And that was after this, this so the cell, I just want to make sure that we're clear that the cell okay. um, signaling assays are separate from the behavioral assays. It's a different thing. Um, uh, but what you're saying is right. That's just the behavioral part. At first, they, I think they wanted to um, verify that the kratom alkaloid didn't result in the beta uh, arrest and two recruitment, which is you know something we've talked about many times now at this yeah. point about how that relates to tolerance. So they just wanted to sort of verify that. And the mice they use are uh, mice, a strain of mice known readily to consume alcohol. So uh, and well, and C's fifty seven BL six are pretty standard just in terms of uh, behavioral mice experiments. So they're okay. They're about as normal as it gets. Um, but yes, they they uh, can be. Oh, it looks like there is another one here. Yeah, C fifty seven BL six and HSD. Uh, da, 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 strain known to readily consume alcohol. Yeah, so they have the C fifty seven BL six background, which is just standard, and then they have the BL six and uh, HSD, which are, yeah, readily known to consume alcohol. Okay. So they're, they're like Irish mice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm Irish. I could say that, uh, <laughs> animal with the exception of ethanol experiments where mice were individually housed in double grommet cages, animals were grouped housed in plexiglass and ventilator racks at ambient temperature. We talked about this before as well, but mice used in experiments are kept in cages. If are they more likely to be to become addicted to substances when they when they're like that? This is I'm talking about the uh, like the rat experiment um, uh -huh. that 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 kind of proved that drug addiction was more about uh, isolation than it, than it is about the actual drugs. So what you're describing isn't incorrect, but the way you're saying it is a little, I would just modify slightly to say that like, if given the opportunity to be with other mice, they would rather do that. It's not yeah. necessarily like their isolation is causing loneliness and then therefore they're drinking themselves, you know, silly. It, it's just <laughs> that 
if they had the option between being with other mice and drinking a lot or being by themselves and drinking a lot, usually they drink more when they're by themselves. Okay, okay. I had a couple questions about the next section. It's a two-bottle choice model of moderate 10% alcohol consumption. Uh, Mice were trained to voluntarily consume alcohol in a limited access, four hours a day, (laughs) Uh, two-bottle choice water versus 10% ethanol, drinking in the dark protocol during their active phase. Now, what's uh, drinking in the dark? So we had the cellular signaling recruitment assays, Then we have these behavioral um, alcohol consumption or alcohol intake uh, studies. And then these next ones, these are conditioned place preference. It's a way to basically assess addiction potential. Um, And so with the conditioned place preference, yeah, do they prefer to go back into the area in which they were given the reinforcing drug or not? So it's like like people go to a bar to drink type of thing. It's that if, if the, if the, compound you're studying, in this case, it's alcohol, is reinforcing or has addiction potential, then the animal will choose to go back to that water bottle or the place where they got that water bottle more often than not. And, and so it, the CPP wasn't necessarily to assess whether or not alcohol was reinforcing or not. It was to assess whether or not the kratom alkaloids were reinforcing or not. Um, and, and not to, okay. not to sort of jump the, the gun here a little bit, but they're, they're basically at the end of this saying, well, it does seem like the kratom alkaloids do reduce alcohol intake and would be effective for reducing alcohol cravings, but there's this liability where they're, they are definitely, you know, have this reinforcing behavior addiction potential. And so our carfentanil ones that don't necessarily have that are better, a better way to, to approach curing like alcohol use disorder with opiate like molecules or the opiate receptors. Using Kratom is not without risks is what they're saying. Compared to, to compared to morphine, it, it is less uh, reinforcing or less risky. But then compared to these other selective um, uh, opiate agonists that they're using, there's less risk. So they're basically just trying to like, okay. you know, cover their bases and say like, well, we're not saying that the, the, um, the kratom extracts and the opiate alkaloids are uh, not without risk. Maybe there's a better way to take advantage of this system that seems to be reducing alcohol intake with with things that are less risky. But it's just it's only in comparison to the other compounds in this paper. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It says uh, kratom reduces alcohol intake and locomotor activity in male and female mice. What what's the significance of uh, decreased locomotor activity? Uh, a few things when we're looking at the behavioral experiments. And so, yeah, um, you know, over in, I don't know if, if we're down here yet, but figure two essentially like lays out um, the behavioral results pretty well with the Kratom extracts, right? So um, on the left with zero uh, uh, milligrams per kilogram of the Kratom extract, we have like our baseline alcohol uh, intake. They give them uh, the 10 milligram per kilogram and that alcohol intake comes down. And then we give them the 30 milligram per kilogram, that alcohol intake comes down even more, significantly less than what the baseline uh, alcohol intake was. Now, when it comes to measuring the locomotor activity, there, you know, one could potentially say, oh, well, they're consuming less alcohol because they're not moving, like they're, they're inhibited, they're, um, depressed, like respiratory or like central nervous system is depressed, uh, in that 
it's not necessarily that they don't want to drink alcohol. It's that they can't move to get there. That would be one potential thing you could say if it, if it decreased significantly. Um, the other thing is that in like anxiolytic states um, or, or like stress reducing or anxiety free states, presumably uh, locomotion would change as well. It says here, there was, a, there was a sex drug interaction for the locomotor activity of Kratom, but not for the modulation of moderate alcohol intake or um, binge alcohol intake. I think it's fair to say this. They're, they're looking at the overall locomotor activity because they want to make sure that like the the treatment with the alkaloids, whether they're the kratom uh, extracts, whether they're, they're the kratom alkaloids isolated, or they're the opiate uh, opium uh, molecules, the alkaloids that they're they're using, that these animals aren't depressed to the point to where like their decrease in alcohol intake wasn't a result of them just being like just numbed out, like just like um, nodding out in the corner, right? Yeah. Um, and so both the Extracts um, had a similar effect uh, on decreasing motor, locomotor activity, but it was only for the first 30 minutes. Um, and, and interestingly, the alkaloids also reduced locomotor activity, except for, um, I think the pee did not decrease locomotor activity. The extracts, extracts caused a decrease in locomotion where the isolated alkaloids M and 5 uh, or 7-hydroxy increased locomotor activity, and the P did not modify locomotion at all. So would that be like the ideal uh, alkaloid that, that they might say, oh, this one would be good uh, to reduce alcohol and date because it doesn't do anything to locomotor activity? Would it? Would that yeah. be the one they would pick as like the safest uh, uh, alkaloid to develop into a drug or something like that? So, you know, I think without them coming back up to it, ultimately the measures of locomotion are sort of interesting observations, but they're primarily there just to assert that these guys aren't nodding out in the corner and it's not like uh, alcohol intake was reduced because they're just like, like half asleep. Right. Um, And it was just an interesting observation that the both kratom extracts decreased the locomotor activity, whereas isolated M and isolated 7-OH um, increased locomotor activity, and the P did not change locomotor activity at all. Um, ultimately, that didn't affect how well uh, they were able to reduce both moderate and binge alcohol intake in both female and male uh, mice. So like overall, um, kratom as extract and kratom as separate alkaloids all were able to reduce the alcohol intake across the board. Um, but then they go further to say, but because it also induced the condition place preference, there is a uh, potential risk to using these in an alcohol treatment way. And that we should, we should potentially look at the other opiates that they were looking at, um, overall. That would be the synthetic carfentanil. Right, right. The uh, significance of uh, like dividing them between male and female, I, I guess in general, in humans, uh, in general, they say that men have a higher tolerance than women. Is is that like a mammalian thing? Does that extend to mice? Yeah, yeah. Well, and so it's a you know it's a hormonal thing, I would assume. Um, and I actually you know give kudos to this study for even looking at the difference there. Yeah. Um, 
if you if you're just mixing male and female mice together, this effect that we see in that there is a de decrease in alcohol intake due to these alkaloids could have just been a wash um, because it blended between the, the, the different sexes. So good on them for actually pulling apart and saying it did it for men, it did it for the women, it did it for binging, and it did it for acute intake. Um, so they saw it across the board. But yeah, that's just a, a biological difference in consumption of, of alcohol that, that is definitely conserved uh, in mice. But, you know, of course, there's always outliers. It's not like it's a, a steadfast rule of physics, um, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's generally seen um, uh, in humans and in mice. What does alcohol in general just do to the brain? It's a good question. Um, because for all of our talk about receptors and specific receptor subtypes, um, and it binds to, you know, receptors heavily in this area of the brain or that area of the brain, uh, what alcohol does is um, not well characterized in that there is nothing specifically to characterize about it because alcohol doesn't bind to a specific receptor or receptor subtype uh, in the nervous system. It basically just uh, makes everything in the nervous system a little loosey goosey. So like it modifies um, the way that your neurons uh, send signals back and forth between each other. Um, not because it's actually like binding to this receptor, which causes a decrease in, in calcium intake and, and firing rates and this and that. It's because the whole cell wall sort of gets a little bit like, separated like it, 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 it you know if you could think about like um something being like packed really tight like if you're like holding a, a bundle of pens in your hand and, and they're really pressed real tight against each other what alcohol does is just sort of like loosen everything up make everything a little bit more fluid i mean there is some some involvement of the gaba uh the primary inhibitory neuron involved there but it doesn't bind to gaba uh specifically um or at least it's binding to the gaba receptor doesn't lead specifically to the effects of what alcohol does. Meaning like if we pull this receptor out, then the alcohol doesn't have any effect. That's not true. Versus like with the opiates where if we take the mu opiate receptor out, then we don't see the effects of the, of the, of the drug. So broadly speaking, your, your nervous system is just like bathed in this alcohol and um, the membranes become a little bit more fluid. Uh, the control of those signals uh, down the neuron, neuronal like axons are um, a little bit looser and that, that is what leads to the effects of alcohol. Is isn't there also something where the uh, the sort of uh, frontal lobes are cut off from the animal part of your brain? It stops sending signals to your frontal lobes, and that's why people kind of just turn into a, an animal when they're really drunk. Is that? Well, well, yeah, or the, the, the essentially the top down control from your uh, like uh, frontal lobes is. Um, reduce. So like the effectiveness of your ability to inhibit the like thoughts or top-down control or, you know, um, ad, like administrative control over your bodily functions and thoughts is just yeah. reduced because that cell signaling is just broadly disrupted. Just the different opioid receptors. It said, uh, we did not observe changes in alcohol intake of 7-hydroxymetragenine uh, compared to vehicle in delta opioid receptor knockout mice, the lack of impact of 7-O on alcohol intake in delta opioid knockout mice 
despite increased locomotor activity, suggests that hyperlocomotion alone did not contribute to the observed decrease in alcohol intake. I'm glad you just what you just read that that supports what I was saying about just they're using locomotion activity broadly as an indication of whether or not they were um, like just not moving right whether or not it was actually alcohol or not so that's good look this is basically saying without that opiate receptor and without the delta opiate receptor the effects of reducing alcohol intake were not observed meaning that for some reason binding to that particular opiate receptor seems to be the driving sort of connection or um, pathway behind how or why uh, these alkaloids reduce uh, alcohol intake. Yeah, that's interesting. And and It is, it is. In general, what's the difference between the uh, opioid receptors? The difference between them is their distribution within the nervous system, and then ultimately that leads to differences in uh, differences in the effects. Here's here's a really good here's a really good breakdown. Uh, the mu's are found um, in the spinal cord and then up in the brain, and they're related to pain signaling pathways, euphoria, respiratory depression, constipation. Uh, kappa are found in the spinal cord um, and have less to do with respiratory depression. Um, and then actually when they're activated can lead to dysphoria rather than uh, euphoria. And delta are typically uh, found deeper in the spinal cord and are uh, more, when they're activated, it's more related to constipation. Um, so basically it's the distribution. Is there kind of an understanding in this paper? Uh, does it point to an understanding of what Kratom exactly does to help uh, to reduce alcohol consumption? For how well set up this paper was, and it, you know, honestly, I think we've bit off a little bit more than we could chew in that. Once I started reading it, I was like, oh gosh, they really. They're doing male, female. They're doing all of these different, you know, they're, they're doing the cell signaling assays. They're doing behavioral assays. They're doing behavioral yeah. assays for addiction. And that, and then they're getting into um, these different types, all the different types of alkaloids. Mm-hmm. Um, for all of the stuff that they have done here, they don't have a clear rationale or reason for why uh, activation of the opiate signaling pathways or the, uh, these opiate receptors actually leads to a reduction in alcohol intake just that it does and that activation and differentiation of different receptors and by different alkaloids leads to like changes in alcohol intake or not changes in alcohol intake. But we're not really there yet as to why. I pulled up a lot of comments from Kratom Science and just a lot, all of them, when they talk about alcohol, it just says my cravings go are going away. Uh, my alcohol cravings were lessened. I'm an alcoholic and I haven't felt the need for a drink. I don't want to drink. I don't have any desire to drink. Uh, it helps alleviate my desire to drink. It's it's kind of like just does something to the cravings, and it'd be interesting to find out why. But uh, now I, I wonder, you know, since alcohol is metabolized in the liver and so is kratom, I'm sure that probably worries some people if, uh, you know, they might want to stay away from taking kratom and alcohol at the same time. And, oh and I've now also we have to talk about a CYP uh, all over again. Yeah, <laughs> no, but but I've also heard that it's it's kind of like um, and I kind of experienced it once or twice, but I haven't really taken both at the same time uh, that much. But uh, and another guy told me it was it's kind of like he had two glasses of wine and it felt like he had two bottles of wine or it's kind of like when you go to Denver and and they tell you don't 
drink as much as you usually do because you're because of the elevation. I think if somebody's just listening to this for kratom and alcohol, they'd probably be curious as to if there's any kind of serious uh, liver threat to taking them both at the same time. I imagine alcohol is going to do the bulk of the damage anyway. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say like it's not as bad or known to be or documented as bad as like taking Tylenol and alcohol, right? Tyl- yeah. Taking Tylenol and alcohol can lead to like creations of these metabolic um, molecules that like literally start destroying liver cells. So, you know, yes. But I mean, saying that is just like saying, you know, uh, French fries are also, uh, you know, parts of French fries are also metabolized in the liver the liver can handle, you know, multiple things at once. Um, so I, I, and, and I, there is certainly no denying what your experience and the experience of others have been too. But, um, I think I mentioned in the last, uh, in the last journal club too, that I, I would posit that there's something just with the physicality of having your digestive system slowed down, um, and then that liquid not being able to move through it as fast, that could also be the reason why people don't necessarily want to do them at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There's been reports of Kratom um, being uh, used to reduce alcohol intake. They did a very thorough analysis of the extracts and the alkaloids and then the other opiate alkaloids. All of them seem to reduce um alcohol intake, except for when we eliminated a few of the opiate uh, subtypes, receptor subtypes. Um, But broadly speaking, uh, it doesn't get to exactly why this actually occurs, just that it does occur. And that um, they're, you know, they they basically say that we, of course, we need more research into figuring out uh, why this happens. And that because uh, kratom alkaloids do show this um, condition place preference, uh, there is some, you know, this, the rewarding properties of kratom p- present potentially a risk in a clinical setting, and that there are other alkaloid, uh, other opiates that you could use that aren't necessarily as um, as risky, you know, but. Even in that case, all of the opiates, any any binding to the opiate receptors is going to have some sort of um, rewarding properties. And so I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that they justify sort of, you know, basically setting out to prove that kratom does, in fact, re- lead to reductions in alcohol intake. Um, but then they sort of say, oh, but it, it might be dangerous. So we should probably just skip over that and go right to these other synthetic, you know, opiate molecules. And it, it seems like a cop out to me to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing is it's it's a it's a harm reduction type of thing. Um, right. You know, alcohol is everybody knows that, you know, alcohol is dangerous and probably causes more destruction than any other drug uh, in this country or anywhere else, really. Um, and so if, if if anybody can reduce their intake or, you know, at least maybe even drink less. Uh, maybe if you drink a lot, ha- have a little kratom, maybe have a beer. That's kind of usually what, how it happens. It's like even if I had a couple of beers on the day, I just that's all I wanted. Um, so it's it's kind of like with the opioids. It's kind of a harm reduction type of tool, and you're certainly not gonna you're certainly less likely to get in a car accident if you're driving with kratom than with alcohol. Or, you know, and if you consume, yeah, if you consume less alcohol too. And I, I, you know, I think the, the, uh, 
what's what the um, person wrote in at the beginning that you had mentioned about how like he just like sort of found himself dumping out more full cans of beer than what he thought he would. Yeah. You know, in thinking about that with myself now, like there, as I have gotten older, it, it has been like, oh, I'll have a beer. And then you crack it and you maybe have like a couple sips and then you're like, you know, you're, you just basically don't drink it. And then an hour later, you get, you get up to go to bed and you're like, oh, shit, I got to dump this whole beer out. Like it, it does sort of just happen like that. There's something going on here. Um, but what exactly it is, I, I don't think that we have a, a clear indication yet. Yeah. And see, with me, I never did that until I started on the Kratom because <laughs> I, I would, you know, just wake up and drink it the next day warm. I never wasted a drop. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> see, that's why I had to stop. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. Uh, but yeah, but with the Kratom, it's seriously, it's like never not had to deal with cravings until I started to uh, have just a little bit of Kratom a couple days a week. It's it's wow. pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's and 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 I did it. it and I I feel like if anybody's listening to this and and trying to you know quit too, but I feel like you have to want to quit and uh, you know maybe taper down if you're kind of getting the shakes in the morning. Uh, get a case of beer and try to taper down. That's usually what I did because I was drinking a lot of vodka and liquor every day. And and then you pick a day. This is the day I'm going to start. And then I have some Kratom that day and it really does cut that out just two teaspoons and some tea and it really does cut down on the uh on the cravings uh, you get them a little bit but then like after a week I only get them like once a week now and it's uh, you have some Kratom and you're fine and it's really it's really pretty remarkable and I'm looking forward to more of these types of studies so we can find out exactly what's going on well, and you, you know what I'd say, just broadly speaking, is that, you know, the opiate signaling pathways are involved in sort of um, reward and aversion behaviors um, and mm -hmm. feelings of euphoria and pleasurability. And so, like, if you were sort of in this state in which you had these cravings to get, you know, to sort of to get a, a pleasurable feeling or a mild buzz or a mild euphoria going on, um, that having these opiate pathways activated essentially gets you there without having to, to consume the alcohol. Right. So I don't think mm -hmm. that there is, you know, I think that the answer is, is, is broadly sort of that in, in, in that it's not, we're not going to find out that like, Oh, well, this particular sub receptor subtype in this part of the brain activation of that just turns off the alcohol cravings. Okay, it's yeah. not going to be that specific. Like there's not, there's not really that much to drill down into in that we know that the, the opiate signaling pathways are involved in these feelings of pleasurability and euphoria and dysphoria and modulating, you know, your internal mood. And, and I'm one that, that listens to uh, uh, armchair expert uh, Dak Shepard's podcast. And he talks a, a lot about um, with his battles with addiction, it's been more or less about controlling his feelings and being able mm -hmm. to modulate um, how the inside of him feels uh, on demand. Um, and to a certain extent, you know, taking any, any uh, conscious modifying drug is about sort of changing how you feel inside. And so by putting something in there that sort of doesn't leave you feeling empty and gives you a little bit of feeling of reward or, or um, uh, at ease, then it, it's going to take away the at least the uh, how much you spend fixated on that uh, feeling to want to modify or get back to a sort of a pleasurable state. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's sort of, there's reasons that everybody becomes addicted to, and it usually has to do with what we were talking about, like with the rats, like, uh, you know, feeling a disconnection or, you know, a lot of hardcore heroin addicts were abused as children. And, but the thing with Kratom, with the harm reduction, it's you, you don't have to worry about, uh, a lot of the things that a hardcore alcoholic or opioid addict has to worry about while you're uh, working out whatever issues cause the addiction in the first place. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the meaning of harm reduction in general, I think, anyway. It's, it's, it's yeah. you, can, you can have this, and then, you know, kind of it, it'll give you more room to work on your whatever your issues are that cause the addiction in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Well said, well said. And, and yeah, you, you can... Uh, you know, sort of separate uh, a physiological need for a feeling versus the psychological sort of, uh, you know, motivating factors to get there or to avoid that. You know, I think from a harm reduction standpoint, the fact that I, I don't know how they could potentially, you know, be saying that these carfentanil, um, uh, uh, carfentanil amide opioids are more preferred over the kratom alkaloids, because if they are um, analogs of fentanyl. I mean, everybody is well aware of what, you know, how, how potent and how potentially risky the carfentanil, um, opiates are, which isn't to say that they can't be safely used in a medical setting. They can, and they are, you know, you just get like, you just have to make sure that you're getting something that is properly dosed in, in microgram doses rather than milligrams. And, And so they can safely be used in a, in a clinical setting. For a lot of people, you know, sometimes they want to handle things on their own. And so kratom alkaloids can be taken much more safely uh, in, in a therapeutic way outside of a clinical environment um, to help people, you know, just explore mm. whether or not, you know, it, it, it's something that works for them. Check out Dr. John on Twitter at jcachet. Check out ccvresearch.com and the Cannabis Museum like subscribe turn on notifications and we want to hear from you comment on this podcast or tweet to at kratom science happy thanksgiving and we're thankful for everyone who listens the kratom science journal club is produced by me brian gallagher for kratomscience.com take care